Welcome to worship with Dawson Memorial Baptist Church. At Dawson, we seek to be found faithful as God's people as we become and help others become faithful servants of Jesus Christ. Now join us as we worship God through the teaching of His Word in today's message. Church, as we continue to worship, would you take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Colossians chapter 3 this morning. If you're new to Dawson, we're in a series entitled Simply Forgiveness. We've had two weeks that we've looked at the foundation of forgiveness in our own personal life. That is this glorious truth that we know a God who is a forgiving God. And if you're a follower of Christ, you've received the ultimate forgiveness, a forgiveness that then propels us forward in our relationships with people to extend forgiveness. So the question is, is who do we forgive? Last week, we looked at Matthew chapter 18 as we considered that question, who to forgive? And now we want to think just kind of practically from God's word about how, how do we forgive? Colossians chapter three is our guide this morning. It is a personal message. There's no way around that. And it's personal because if you're living and breathing here this morning, you understand this, the, the truth that none of us get married in the Garden of Eden. None of us raise children in the Garden of Eden. None of us forge friendships in the Garden of Eden. None of us work in a workplace that has as an address the Garden of Eden. So the fall of this world affects our relationships, even our relationships with people that are real far from us that we don't know and those people that are real close to us and that we know intimately. So if you have a pulse this morning... The truth of the matter is, is that sometimes somewhere you've had to say to someone two questions that are hard to get out. And even when we get them out, even when we verbalize the questions, they're hard to truly mean from the heart. I was wrong, it's hard to say. It's hard to mean it. Will you forgive me? Sometimes even harder to say. Harder to mean. But I don't know if that even compares to what might be even more difficult to say and to truly mean, and that is simply, yes, I will forgive you. The great American poet Robert Frost decades ago would write this, talking about how forgiveness is relevant to all of us because we are living and breathing. If one by one, Frost says, we counted people out for the least sin, it wouldn't take us long to get so that we had no one left to live with. We could add to Frost, work with, live next to, for to be alive is to be forgiving. I don't know how many of you, I don't know exactly where this would be in your house, but everybody most likely has something like I'm going to describe, a drawer. Maybe it's in the kitchen. Maybe it's a spare room. There's a drawer there that, that you've got a lot of loose end nooks and things that you've put into this drawer here. There are cords. You don't know exactly what all those cords go to. They're old electrical devices, old cell phones that, are, that you thought you were going to recycle, the cell phones that you maybe are going to give to someone else. Loose change goes into these drawers. Things that you think you're going to get back to when you're just straightening up the house for people to come over. Most probably have a drawer that you just shove some things into and you shut it. Yesterday would have been a great day to clean that out. But did anybody clean out that drawer yesterday? No. 
was a beautiful day yesterday. Do you know how much emotional energy it takes to clean out that drawer? Do you know how much physical energy it takes? And I'm here to tell you that in a deep part of all of our souls, you've got a drawer. You got a drawer. If you're living and you're breathing, you've got a drawer that you shove into it, grudges, you clean off real quickly and you put some bitterness in that drawer. Misunderstanding, put it into the back, shove it. Nobody will know about it. And unforgiveness. It goes in that drawer. And this is why this is not the most enjoyable thing for us to open up this drawer the Sunday morning in this series on forgiveness and allow the spirit of God to, to shine in those parts of our soul that we would just rather keep shut. I mean, shut from others, but also if we're going to be honest, shut from ourselves. Off limits. The Spirit of God inspired the Word of God to not let us shut those drawers so readily. Paul, Paul writing to the church at Colossae would say in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, Forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. This comes in the context of Colossians chapter 3, this transitional and the argument, the flow of the book. It's a very practical exhortation that is dependent upon this glorious truth in verse 1 of chapter 3 that reads, do you see it there in your copy of God's word? If then you've been raised with Christ, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So if this has occurred, so we're called to look like this, this is what Paul's saying. If we are resurrection people and the spirit of God dwells in us and the power of God is in us and before us and doing a work in us, there, there is a transformation that occurs and the spirit of God opens up some drawers and does some soul cleaning for us. And there, there's some things that we are to put away. They're, they're the passing world that is behind us. Now it entangles us at times it seems this sort of siren song to us to say, hey, you need to nurse this. You need to hold on to this. Don't get rid of this too quickly. But Paul, as followers of Christ, is calling us to allow the Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to move in us. There's a theological word for this. It's called sanctification. And that word shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't be hesitant to use that word. It just simply means the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit to make us look more like Jesus like right here and right now. Not just when we die and go to be with Jesus in the great by and by, but right here, right now. The decisions that we make empowered by the grace of God in us and the spirit of God through the community of believers that we worship with, through the word of God, as we're on our knees in prayer, these decisions, our effort empowered by his grace, it, it makes a difference. 
It makes a difference in how we think and how we act. Paul says, here's some things to throw away. Look again in Colossians chapter three. He starts listing them. Here's some things that you don't need in, in your drawer. Verse five, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. Then he goes to verse eight. He's not finished yet. Anger, wrath, we know that to be rage, malice, slander, obscene talk. Throw it away. Get it out of the drawer. Verse nine, lion. Deceit. Verse 11, divisions among people, groups, and classes. These are things that we leave behind and we walk in the light of the resurrection and we have a new wardrobe. We're to look different. There's something about us that, that should be distinct in the world that we live in. And so Paul is saying, hey, as followers of Christ, here are things that we leave behind and here are the things that we walk into through the spirit that lives in you, through his grace that empowers you each and every day of your life. Verse 12 starts listing these. So it's a contrast. Throw these things away. Walk in light of these, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. It's not finished. Verse 13, bear with one another and forgive each other. Now, what Paul is doing here is he says one of the aspects of the transforming power of the resurrection in your life and my life, this is going to make a practical difference in your workplace, in your home, in your marriages, in your friendships, in the way you raise your children, whether they're adult children or they're young children, one of the practical ways as resurrection people is, is that we forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven us. So you also must forgive. That's a very straightforward line here. It is a line that we're seeing again and again. Do you see this just through line in the New Testament? I've said it before in the first sermon. I've said it last week. I'll say it again. A forgiven people are called to be a forgiving people. This is a part of the resurrection power in us. A forgiven people are called to pursue Forgiveness. We're called to be a forgiving people. Now, we're here on a Sunday morning walking through this passage, and maybe we're sort of inquisitive. Maybe we want to actually put this into action. We raise our hand and say, hold on, Apostle Paul. Give us a little bit more clarity here. How do we actually do this? How do we do the things that you're calling us to do? How do we walk in this? And so what we want to do in answering this how question is first admit Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was not led in this place to say, now here are seven steps to that how answer. He doesn't do this in Colossians chapter 3. I would tell you that the entirety of the New Testament answers this question, but it doesn't answer it in just one passage, in one book, and one chapter, or one verse. So what we do is, as we sit under, because God's word is our authority, we're opening up the shades, we're, we're opening up the blinds, and we're allowing the light of the whole New Testament to shine to help us, well, to help us walk in the power of the Spirit of God as resurrection people to take steps to be people who extend forgiveness to people. How do we do that? Four principles from the New Testament. Let's start. Start first with your heart in prayer. Start with your heart in prayer. 
Jesus's words in Mark chapter 11 are very instructive to us. Verse 25, and whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, Jesus says, so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. Well, these are tough words. I mean, this is the, the, the anyone here the anything here in this passage, I mean, it bears a, a, a lot of reflection here. But at the outset, Jesus is saying here is that forgiveness is something that has to start in our heart. It has to start in our own, our knees in prayer and dependency with him. Forgiveness is birthed in the heart before it is extended in our lives. We've got to do a work in our heart to ask God to help us see the person who maybe has wronged us long time ago or recently in eyes that, that he sees them in. And that's almost impossible for us to do. It's one of the obstacles of pursuing forgiveness. When, when there's a root of bitterness, one, one of the things that bitterness does to all of us here this morning is, is it distorts the other. It distorts the other person. Have you ever been at a fair? you ever been in an amusement park? Maybe in the French Quarter you've, in New Orleans, you're walking and somebody will offer to, to sketch you, to draw you. And there's sort of this cartoonist style where they will exaggerate the features and your body becomes really small and your head becomes really pronounced and anything that is distinguishing, you know, features get really exaggerated. I mean, you've seen this. They're funny. I mean, it's sort of this cartoonist perspective on you. So your forehead gets real pronounced. Your chin gets out and it's protruding and your, your hair is poofier than you think it is. And all of those kinds of things, you sort of laugh because it is an exaggeration of what does resemble you. I mean, you can see where that's coming from, but is it, is it truly who you are? The answer to that is no, it is an exaggeration of who you are. And what ends up happening with bitterness in all of our hearts, and this is why it has to be birthed on our knees in prayer, is that we will exaggerate a person's features. And we will, we will exaggerate their sin so that their sin is all that we see and we will minimize what we have in common with them one is that we are sinner just as they are, and we're creating the image of God just as they are. And so there becomes this distance between us and the other person. I mean, take, take just if, if someone lies to you, I mean, what ends up happening in our heart is, is that if that person lies to us and lies to us again, we, we exaggerate them and see them only as a liar and we, we separate ourselves. Whereas if this is, this is the cruel fact of the, you know, uh, the truth of the matter is, is that they're going to be sometime in your life where you're going to break a promise. You're, you're going to not fulfill your word. And in that moment, what do you want that person to do on the receiving end of that? Do you, do you want them to see you solely as a liar? The answer is no. You're going to draw out all of these sort of alibis and all these excuses here. But oftentimes we won't see that in the other person. We solely see them in the sin. We solely see them in the wrong. And so forgiveness has to be birthed in our heart to be able to have eyes to see another person as God sees that person. Jesus was so helpful when he tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, 
You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Matthew chapter 5 here. Now, he's very specific in this passage, and most of us read the Sermon on the Mount, and we read it with our hands really extended because we, we see enemies as those people that are very far from us, nameless, thousands of miles away that maybe collectively uh, stand against what we feel are our values or those kinds of things. But our enemies most often aren't people living in other countries. You know who our enemies most often are? They're people that live under the same roof. Practically, you know who our enemies most often are on this earth are people that have the last same last name or same family tree or live on the same street or work at the same place. That This practically begins to show us who are these people that we are called to pray for. And Jesus says to us, we'll never get to that place of forgiveness unless, unless we bring them to the Lord in prayer. Let me just sum this up. I don't think there are any ifs, ands, and buts about this. You will not be able to forgive a person you are not willing to consistently pray for. It's just impossible. You will not be able to take steps forward to truly forgive a person who you are not willing to consistently pray for. So that person that comes to mind who feels sort of far away from you and sort of exaggerated in your mind and there's some real hurts and there's some real wounds and all of that's true. But maybe God is calling you to take that first step to start by bringing them and those wounds and those hurts to him in prayer. Second step, relinquish to God the desire to get even. Relinquish the God the desire to get even. In Romans chapter 12, verse 17, Paul would tell us, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, such a helpful passage, Paul. Thank you, and in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that you give us this here. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So the word of the Lord, Romans 12, 17 through 19. So one cost that we must pay to pursue forgiveness is the cost of the pursuit of human vengeance. Now, obviously, this means that, that we relinquish this desire to take matters in our own hands. We entrust that person to the Lord. We entrust that the Lord is the ultimate arbiter of justice. All of this is true here. This can lead us down some wrong paths. So, so we must say this once again. This doesn't mean that we're writing a blank check to any person to continually wrong us to continually break promises or abuse us. It doesn't mean that we immediately trust him or her. When, when trust is broken, trust must be re-earned. And you can actually pursue forgiveness and not trust a person. You can actually pursue forgiveness and have really healthy boundaries for your sake, your family's sake, your friend's sake, and even the other person's sake here. It doesn't always mean that there's a full restoration of the relationship. It doesn't always mean that you're going to be buddy-buddy with this person here. It doesn't always even mean you're going to be in proximity to this person here. But to pursue forgiveness 
always means that there is equally a pursuit of justice, no doubt. Forgiveness doesn't shield a person from consequences, but forgiveness costs you. It costs you forfeiting your rights to fully get even. To fully get even. This is one of the illusions in life when it comes to bitterness and unforgiveness. We, we will believe the lie that we can begin the pursuit of forgiveness when that person gets what's coming to them. When that person sobers up to the fact of the harm that they've done, when that person gets to this place here, and when that person experiences a little of their own medicine there. And this is, this is what's just impossible. It is a moving goalpost. So your pursuit of human vengeance, it will never be fully satisfied. I'm just here to tell you, justice we need to pursue, of course. Consequences, of course. But when we hold the vengeance in our heart and we're constantly spiraling in our minds and in our thoughts about their demise and what they need to own up to and what they need to realize we end up bound in our bitterness. We end up paralyzed by our own unforgiveness. So we start with our heart in prayer. We must in prayer relinquish to God the desire to quote unquote, get even. And real practically, we have to pursue honest conversations. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, if your brother sins against you, Jesus, what do we do? Well, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. And notice what Jesus isn't doing here. Real helpful. Jesus isn't excusing sin. He doesn't downplay wrongs. He doesn't minimize. He's not explaining it away. He's not saying, hey, get over it, grin and uh, you know, grit your teeth and bear it. No, he, he's saying name the wrong. That there's no true forgiveness that can be extended unless we have honest conversations about the wrong. But there's a problem with this because we don't, we don't live again in the Garden of Eden and we don't extend forgiveness perfectly and we don't receive forgiveness perfectly. So this means that there are oftentimes where a person who quote unquote is wronged us will not see eye to eye with us. Actually, maybe downplays, ignores, laughs it off, or even just denies it. But guess what? We're not off the hook. We're still called to, to pursue forgiveness and hopefully, prayerfully, a part of an honest conversation would, would lead to spiritual change in your heart, my heart, but also the other person's heart. And prayerfully, God would use that to draw them to forgiveness, draw them, excuse me, to uh, repentance, draw them uh, and you to reconciliation, but that doesn't always happen, does it? Uh, forgiveness is not perfectly offered by you. It's not perfectly received by you. None of us walk this road perfectly. It is a painful, difficult road fraught with a lot of things that trip us up. So we need wisdom. 
we need wisdom to know how, how do we pursue honest conversations? We have to do that, but the medium in which we do it could look very different depending upon a lot of factors. And that's why I'm so grateful for godly Christian counselors and psychologists. I'm really grateful for wonderful books on counseling uh, through unforgiveness and bitterness that are helpful to us. And aren't we thankful just for the spirit of God and the people of God that he has given us to be able to walk this road? So a good godly Christian friend to be able to walk through what, what, what maybe needs to be the next step. And for some people in this room, it very well may be you saying, hey, can we grab coffee? We got to talk through some things. Hey, can we uh, grab lunch? Hey, can I set up a time for us to talk? Hey, can I call you? Sometimes it, it means you writing a letter and never once sitting face to face with the person. It, it very well may be that there's some situations where it's absolutely impossible for you to sit face to face with the person. And so what you're doing is, is you, you're speaking honestly and, and God the Father is the audience to this, but God is doing something in you that brings about this real life change and power in your life is you're able to move from just your mind and you're able to put things on paper that maybe have been in that drawer that you have left shut for decades. But we have to pursue, no matter the different ways, we've got to take the next step to pursue honest conversations. And finally, all of this can, can be difficult, but I wonder if this might be one of the hardest aspects of it, which is the final, which is when we pursue forgiveness, we, we, we have to take steps to live in the present and not bound to the past. And this is just not our human nature. It, our human nature is not Ephesians chapter four, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. The template of pursuit of forgiveness is God has forgiven you. So God's forgiveness propels us forward. God's forgiveness doesn't bind us. God's forgiveness gives us a hope today and a hope for all of our tomorrows. God's forgiveness propels us forward in gratitude to obey him, to honor him. So what we've received in the forgiveness of Christ, it always is forward. It is always pushing us to grow in him, to depend upon him, to love him, to worship him, to honor him. It's always forward, always forward in movement. Now, at times in these conversations about forgiveness, what we get hung up on is the tendency of all of us to offer forgiveness in such a way, but we still want to nurse our wounds. We still want to stash away wrongs that are done to us. And at opportune times, oftentimes in the heat of a conversation, heated argument, hey, we pull them out and we can be really good at weaponizing our wounds. And we can do this to say, hey, I am better than you. You remember what you did? Hey, you owe me something. You remember what you did? You want to rethink that? You remember what you did? And so what we do is, is we stash away that bitterness. We stash away that, that hurt, that wound, and we keep it shut unless 
It's advantageous for us. And there we pull it out. And so remember when? So a part of forgiveness, a part of pursuing forgiveness is this commitment to to not continually dwell in the past, to not continually bring up the worst days and the worst moments to that person or to bring up the worst moment of that person to other people or to bring up the worst moment or the worst time of that person to yourself. Recently, I, I came into contact with an author that I had never heard of, Dan Hamilton. I was reading another book on the subject of forgiveness. He had written a book decades ago, small little book called Forgiveness. Christian counselor speaks just really helpfully. The thing with forgiveness is it's just really, really personal. And my experience with bitterness and unforgiveness in my own life is most likely not, uh, you know, not your experience. And the person sitting next to you who's a teenager is going to be very different than the person who's here that's a senior adult. We all have to walk this road and it's a unique terrain. There's some overlap, no doubt. But Dan Hamilton, in this book called Forgiveness, he, he talks about his own experience in such a way that I think it just really summarizes some of the things that we're talking about here. And it maybe shows a couple steps forward. He, he says that he was engaged to his fiance in very painful part of their life. They just broke it off and they went their separate ways. I mean, just earth shattering, earth shattering for both of them. And he says, forgiveness can be like buying an expensive gift for someone on credit. The gift is received in one moment when you say to the person, I forgive you and enjoyed from their own, but the giver will continue to pay unseen until the debt is satisfied. So he says, years ago, I was engaged to a young woman who changed her mind. I forgave her, but only in small sums over a year. They were made, these payments were made whenever I spoke to her and refrained from rehashing the past. They were paid whenever I saw her with another guy and didn't interfere. They were paid when I had to renounce jealousy and self-pity. Those debts were paid when I prayed for her as she moved from me into another relationship. They were paid when I praised her and spoke of her value, though I wanted to slice away at her reputation. These were the payments, but she never saw them. And her own payments were unseen by me, but I do know that she forgave me. And he writes, forgiveness is more than a matter of refusing to hate someone. It's also a matter of choosing to demonstrate love and acceptance to the offender. Forgiveness is to deal with our emotions by denying ourselves the dark pleasures of constantly venting about them in the recesses of our mind in that, my words, that drawer. Pain is the consequence of sin. There's no easy way to deal with it. Wood, nails, and pain are the currency of forgiveness, the love that heals. We've experienced the forgiveness of Jesus through the pain of his sacrifice. Our forgiveness cost. It cost the perfect son's life. And as we walk, we take up our cross 
and we follow Jesus as forgiven people that are called to extend forgiveness, there will be a cost that you pay. And that cost is often unseen. It is often uncelebrated. It is often the painful decision that you make in private to take one step forward in prayer, one step forward in dependency, in pursuing not a life of bitterness, but a life of forgiveness. My friends, you can do this, not in your own strength, not in your own will, but you can do this as a follower of Christ because he lives in you. The spirit of God dwells in you and he desires for you to live in a way that extends forgiveness to that husband, to that wife, it extends forgiveness to that son or that daughter, or that coworker, that neighbor, that stranger. And it practically occurs when we begin to bow our knees in prayer. It practically occurs when we bow our knees and we relinquish our desire to get even. It practically occurs when we pray for wisdom to pursue honest conversations. And it practically occurs when we live in the present, not bound to the past. But I, I know there's somebody here that says, yeah, but if you only knew my story. Yeah, I mean, that, that works for most everybody, but if, you, if you've only known the wounds that I've walked through, if you've only known the pain, if you've only known what I've walked through, then you would understand that that's not true for me. And if that's you here this morning, let's have a conversation next week. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us today. To learn more about our family of faith or to learn how to become a follower of Jesus, please visit DawsonChurch.org. Until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.